Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Four years ago, attorney Dan Coldy sued the University of Missouri. Coldy specializes in cases involving animals, and his client had sought to use the state's Open Records Act, better known as the Sunshine Law, to obtain records about the dogs and cats Mizzou was using for research. Those records are open to the public under the Sunshine Law. But even though Coldy's clients had made their request as narrow as possible, Mizzou announced it would cost $82,222 to produce them. Many people would have walked away at that point while Coldy's clients sued. And earlier this week, on Monday, the case finally wrapped up with the judge signing off on Mizzou needing to pay Dan Coldy and his clients $175,000. And joining me to talk about the remarkable resolution to this long-running lawsuit is attorney Dan Coldy. Dan, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, Always good to talk to you. And before we get started here, I do want to mention that the University of Missouri Board of Curators holds the license to St. Louis Public Radio. The station, however, is editorially independent. Now, Dan, this all started back in 2015. The Beagle Freedom Project started asking Mizzou for records. They're a California nonprofit. What were they looking for at the University of Missouri? So the the Beagle Freedom Project um, initiated back in 2015 this this really novel um, program. It was called the Identity Campaign. And through the Identity Campaign, what they did is they encouraged supporters, anyone interested, to um, file open records requests. Uh, So the individuals were sending off uh, requests to Beagle Freedom Project, picked 12 universities identified by... um, certain regulatory numbers, the animals that were kept. There was 179 at Mizzou. Mm. 79 individuals sent in uh, records requests and got um, fee estimates ranging from four to $700 per individual. Mm. Um, what we were looking for is basically just standard regulatory documents that Mizzou was required to keep, or any research institution is required to keep, uh, under various federal laws, the Animal Welfare Act through the U.S. Department of Agriculture, um, National Institutes of Health regulations. And so all these um, regulations and these organizations require these institutions just some basic records like acquisition and intake records. Where did the animal come from and how did it get to the university? So, so uh, they Dale wanted Car- some, some really basic stuff here. And instead, okay. Mizzou gave them a bill that was absolutely eye-catching. Um, yeah. When you broke it down, it seemed pretty clear that the university was actively trying to inflate the cost. Can you give us some of the more egregious examples that you found? Uh, well, some of the more egregious examples was, um, so they they included uh, 1,500 hours of employee time from, from about 30 different employees, mm-hmm. uh, 10 of whom were the these highly compensated principal investigators. These are basically some of the highest paid people at the university. Um, you know, they had salaries ranging anywhere from about 109 to $210,000 a year. Hmm. Um, you know, so we're, you know, we're talking what, $150, $225 an hour. And a third, over a third of the hours, 536 of the total hours were supposedly from these, um, these principal investigators. And, you know, these, you know, these guys, weren't going through the, the files and doing administrative work. I, I think it was, we knew from the beginning that was suspect. And and what evidence did you get? Ga- um, you gathered some evidence. What did it suggest about their motivations in putting some of these people on it, coming up with a bill that ended up being so eye-catching? Oh, uh, some of the evidence in the trial testimony um, clearly 
clearly indicated that the university was just absolutely hostile to the Beagle Freedom Project. Um, you know, during trial, one of their employees uh, testified that a lot of times activism happens, and if there's a cost associated with it, it's just not followed through with. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, another you know the same employee also said that there were meetings where they discussed that it was likely the expense would prohibit most requesters from pursuing this any further. And I mean, the, the custodian of records herself sent an email to uh, to some of the university staff members. Uh, saying flat out these animal rights groups often don't want to put out the money. Wow. So they really thought that if they hit you with a bill this big, hit your client with a bill this big, this would make them go away. Yes, that it would discourage everybody and just, yeah, go away, forget about it, leave. Now um, that- at, one point, at one point, I had even sent, the, before we filed the lawsuit, I had even sent the university a letter explaining why we thought we were entitled to these records as normal business documents why we thought the fee was too high, and asked them to contact me, and they just completely ignored me. So they knew this group had a lawyer. Uh, they, they should have known maybe they were getting into some dangerous territory here, but they continued to, to proceed. Um, now, as we know, they didn't drop this matter. They did hire you, and, and you ended up taking this case all the way to trial. We do want to mention we reached out to the University of Missouri for comment. They sent us a statement reading, quote, the University of Missouri is committed to being transparent and in compliance of the law. We respond to nearly 700 sunshine requests per year and devote significant resources to live up to the requirements of the sunshine law. We respectfully disagree that the university violated those requirements. We respect the court and are pleased to have reached this settlement. Now, the timeline of this case, uh, you guys went to trial almost a year ago. That was last July. The judge then ruled in November. He found that the university had violated the sunshine law, and he found that it was knowing. Um, That's a pretty big deal as far as the financial resolution of this case. Explain why. Okay, so under the Sunshine Law, um, you know, there's uh, three penalties for violating. One is could be, you know, the you know the, the public governmental body violated the Sunshine Law, but the law wasn't clear and they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And under those circumstances, there's usually no penalty. The next level up is knowing, which is that the university knew what it was supposed to do and just didn't do it. So they knew their obligations and they just ignored their obligations. The highest level is what we call a purposeful violation. Those are very difficult to prove. That mm-hmm. almost requires a showing that um, the uh, university or the public governmental body um, engaged in a, you know, purposeful plans or scheme with the intent to subvert the Sunshine Law. It's it's really hard to uh, to prove those, and you don't see a lot of those frequently. Okay, so in this case, you got the knowing violation. I was I was kind of shocked to see that only comes with a thousand dollar fine. Everything on top of that is various costs and fees. That's that's kind of the biggest teeth this law has, the way it's written. Yes, and it's not even it's not even a fixed thousand dollar fine. It's a maximum of thousand. So at the court's discretion. Um, applying various factors, um, you know, the court could could have imposed a you know fine less than a thousand dollars. A thousand is just the cap. Okay, so you did hit that cap. Um, then how did we get to one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars as the total bill uh, Mizzou needs to pay here? So, so a lot of um, our civil rights and public interest statutes um, do allow for the prevailing plaintiff, you know, the person you know challenging. Uh, to recover costs associated with litigation and attorney's fees in the litigation. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of rare. The general rule is that everybody pays their own own attorney's fees. 
But for things like the Missouri Human Rights Act with discrimination, things like um, the Missouri Merchandising Practices Act, things like the Sunshine Law, things like constitutional cases, to to encourage lawyers to take these cases, um, especially cases against, you know, a lot of times governments Mm -hmm. who just have so much more in resources to fight back. Um, the law does allow that um, if, if the plaintiff wins, they can get their attorney seats back. And that's how we got to this much bigger bill in this case. And I find this, it's, it's kind of interesting that now Mizzou is going to be paying this six-figure bill. You had publicly offered to settle this case for $1 plus a few policy changes. And I know they obviously didn't take you up on that af- offer. But what were you looking for at the point that you offered to settle for a dollar? Uh, so the big one was when we were looking to settle for a dollar, the, the main thing that we wanted um, then, and we continued to keep this offer open throughout the litigation, was um, that Mizzou work with Beagle Freedom Project on an adoption program so that after these animals were no longer needed, these dogs and cats were no longer needed in the research, uh, Beagle Freedom Project uh, would work with the university to, um, to basically put these animals into loving adopted homes. I mean, that's what Beagle Freedom Project's primary purpose is, actually. So you weren't trying to stop this research from going, o- going forward. You were just saying when the research is done, rehome these animals. Any sense of why they wouldn't be interested in doing that? Oh, um, you know, the, uh, so I would start out by saying 11 states now, Missouri is not one of them, but 11 states now have passed statutes in the last several years requiring institutions to work with uh, organizations to adopt out these animals. Um, You know, one big one, I think, is that the university just doesn't want to, these, you know, any research institution, they don't want to adopt these animals out because they don't want people looking at their, their, you know, their family member, their dog or their cat, thinking, what in the world did they do to you before you, before you came to my home? Mm. Um, One thing I learned was that a lot of times what they'll do is they'll put, they'll tattoo their, uh, their identification, the animal's identification number, the animal's ear. And I just don't think they want people having this permanent reminder that these dogs came from, from a research facility, think about what happened, and then, then start engaging in public debate about um, whether or not we, we should be doing animal testing or if we do, if it should be more regulated. Um, you know, Breeders, people that furnish these animals to these labs, it's a big business. Um, research is a big business. We're talking millions of dollars of taxpayer money going each year to this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's powerful lobbying groups that favor the industry that, that just don't want it's, – it's basically public information. They don't want the public talking about this. Mm-hmm. And I think some of these research professors are scared. They've spent their entire careers doing, doing animal research – this is how they conduct research, and I think they're just frightened that if we move to other models, computer models, tissue models, cellular models, they would be feel obsolete. Hmm. Now, I know at the time that your clients started pursuing these records, uh, the University of Missouri had 179 dogs and cats they were using for research. And we did ask them specifically how many cats and dogs are currently being used for research and testing. And a spokesman told us, quote, because of the COVID epidemic has significantly altered our research projects, I just don't have an accurate number that I could provide. Dan, I know your clients sought these records as part of this much bigger project. Um, Now that they've won this case and now that you've gotten all your legal fees, um, is that project continuing? Uh, where, where does that all that stand? 
Um, so Beagle Freedom Project kind of uh, put that project on hold to focus more on their adoption and um, their uh, trying to get, uh, you know, le- legislatures to, to pass the Beagle Freedom Adoption, you know, humane retirement bills. Um, so, uh, you know, I know there's talk that maybe um, maybe trying to revise it in the future. I know there's other organizations out there that are starting to do the same thing. So, you know, there's always a concern about duplication of, you know, efforts. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would like to respond to the university's um, statement about not knowing how many, I would kind of disagree with that because under USDA regulations, they're supposed to have a running list of all the dogs and cats they're using in research. So I've seen the documents. They should have just been able to open a book and give you that piece of information if they had wanted to. Well, Dan, I wonder if uh, somebody needs to put in a Sunshine Law request here. (laughs) Oh, I I kind of am anticipating there's going to be some more Sunshine requests. Well, Dan Coldy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Sarah. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.